Today's National Poetry Month poem of the day is Fire and Ice by Robert Frost. Now, this Fire and Ice poem analysis takes you step-by-step through the analysis process, allowing you to teach your own literary analysis whenever the fancy strikes. And the fancy does strike often in the ELA classroom. And it's usually about five minutes after your administrator says he wants to observe your students applying higher-level thinking skills, too. You ever had that? You have like a kind of a chill day plan, something easy, maybe some vocabulary, and then your principal says, hey, I'm coming into the class, and you're like, oh, man, I need to show the principal that my kids can uh, use critical thinking skills without soiling themselves. Welcome to the Teaching Your Hey, this is Trent Lorcher, and welcome to the Teaching ELA podcast, where I help ELA teachers thrive in and out of the classroom. In this podcast, I discuss real teaching for real classrooms. Whether it's a specific piece of literature, teaching strategy, or life strategy, I talk about things ELA teachers need. I promise that with each podcast episode, you'll have something you can use today. All right. An analysis of Fire and Ice begins with reading the poem. It's short, so you can even read it several times. That's what I did when I you know, taught it. Some say the world will end in fire, some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if I had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. So imagine having 11 or more, a dozens of complete poetry units with handouts and lesson plans completed. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, you don't need to imagine, because over at ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com, these units are teacher-ready and student-ready, already done for you. All you have to do is make copies, print. Actually, you, could, you should probably print before you make the copies. Yeah, just you know, a little bit of copy and, copy and advice, copy machine advice. I used to work at Kinko's Copy Center. Uh, so I know, I know a fair amount about making copies. Anyhow, just print, make copies, accept the accolades from colleagues and students. And uh, there's my plug for ELA Common Core Lesson Plans.com. That's my website. It's a good one. You should check it out. All right. Any good Robert Frost poetry analysis begins with gathering data. In fact, any good poetry analysis begins with gathering, da- gathering data. It's called citing textual evidence to support analysis. That's what the standard is. So my analysis of Fire and Ice led to the following. Again, you, you don't have to agree. You don't have to agree with my analysis at all. In fact, you can start your own website. Start your own podcast. I don't care. I think more the merrier. I might learn a thing or two. So number one, as the title implies, Fire and Ice is a poem of contrast and a poem poem of extremes. We have ice, which equals hatred. Fire represents desire. Perhaps a more accurate word for desire would be lust, which is often associated with fire. Problem is, is lust doesn't rhyme with fire, you know, or desire. So, you know, fire... Let me just read this again. From what I've tasted of lust, I hold with those who favor fire. This doesn't have the same ring to it. So I'm going to make, I'm going to make that connection because I can do that. I'm a teacher. Fire and ice appear in the title and are repeated twice in the poem. They form the central concrete images in the poem. The rhyme scheme A, B, A, A, B, C, B, C, B divides the poem into proper sections while linking the two as well. Line five is a pivot, similar to what you'd see in a, maybe a Spencerian stanza. Take a look at line five, if it's a pivot after all. One, two, three, four. But if I had to perish twice, in fact, the word but there kind of tells you it's a pivot. You didn't need me to tell you that. Meter is mostly iambic tetrameter with a few lines of iambic duometer. The content of the poem seems ill-suited for the quicker-paced, faster-flowing tetrameter, I think. 
Favor fire is alliterative in line four. The entire poem is an example of meiosis or understatement. Specific examples of meiosis can be found in lines seven and nine. We have to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. We're talking about the destruction of the world. And he's just kind of handling it, you know, kind of ho-hum, destruction of the world. Yeah, it'd be nice. It'd be nice. The casual reference to dying twice, knowing hate, tasting desire, and other understatements underlie the poem speaker's call for moderation. So we're talking about extremes here, fire and ice. How about a little something in between? Maybe cable news networks in, in, could uh, learn from this. 24-hour news cycle. Got to have extremes, right? Anyway, the happy rhythm of the poem belies the underlying message of destruction. And I read and I thought the, the theme of this is the dangers of extremism. Extremism will eventually destroy the world. doesn't have to be the literal world. It could destroy societies, destroy relationships, destroy families, destroy schools. You get the point. So after the data is gathered, you are ready to write the paragraph. I've noticed that when students have their have well-written data, thorough data, and it's organized well that uh, they have a much easier time with the analysis paragraph. I'm just going to read you mine. I'll let you decide. Poetic form and structure often enhance a poem's theme or meaning. Frost's ironic use of meter and rhythm in fire and ice underlies his hidden theme that moderation is the world's salvation. Frost uses two extremes, fire and ice, as the poem's controlling images, images which symbolize the two extremes of lust and hate. These two extremes, he expostulates, will eventually destroy the world, the rhythm and meter of the poem, and the use of meiosis offer an alternative to extremism, moderation, and provide the solution to the world's impending doom. Frost chooses the fast-flowing, less serious iambic tetrameter mixed with iambic duometer over the more serious, slower-moving iambic pentameter as a framework for his understated theme of the world's destruction and potential salvation, a meter that brings to the forefront his use of meiosis. He casually states, I hold with those who favor fire and for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice, to comment on cataclysmic events. Although his poetic form contrasts the overt theme of the poem, it underscores its underlying meaning. Just in case you weren't able to take notes there, don't worry, I have this blog post linked to in the show notes. I have show notes. I've been doing show notes again because that's what the people wanted. All right, no one actually requested them. I just figured if, you know, I'm talking about something in the podcast, you might want to put a link to it in the show. Any lesson plan ideas here? I think maybe symbolism. What do you think? Or maybe just do this straight up uh, poem annotation. A literary analysis. I went over that with the the on April first uh, when I when we kicked off National Poetry Month. I shared the greatest, uh, most effective lesson plan for teaching poetry ever written. Okay, maybe not, but it's still a pretty good one. My friend uh, Chelsea shared it with me ten fifteen years ago. Thanks, Chelsea, if you're listening. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. I live in the Caribbean. <laughs> All right. Fire and ice. Thanks for listening to the Teaching ELA podcast. For more teacher-ready, student-ready lesson plans, head on over to ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com. That's ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com, where we have hundreds of lesson plans and handouts that are ready to use right now. And as always, if this podcast has helped you thrive in the classroom, we'd appreciate a like and a review. 